when Dan approached me, well, Dan approached myself and the leadership approached me a while ago about being an elder in the church. And uh, being an elder is not uh, a simple thing. I had in the past, I, I'd never been an elder before, but I've been involved with leadership. And I'd watched the elders in the church that I was in, and they dealt with some challenging things. And sometimes they're involved with making decisions that are tough. Um, when he, when you, when I decided that this was something that I wanted to do, I didn't take it lightly. And um, Dan, rightfully, and the leadership w- wanted to make sure that um, if you're going to be involved in leadership, then people need to know who you are. And now I know that I know most of you, um, but probably for some of you, I only know you on a perhaps a, a high and by level. Some other people know me well, but they don't know a lot about my past. I would say probably very few of you actually know how I became a Christian. I realized that when Dan asked me to speak, he kind of threw it out there kind of like a testimony. And, uh, and that's how I'm approaching it. I'm going to share my testimony this morning with you. So it's not going to be a message so much, but their message will be in it. There will be messages in there. When I started... I thought, how am I going to come up with enough thing to say in 30 minutes? So I thought, okay, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to start spilling my guts. And so I just started writing things down. And when I was done, I thought, I can't speak for two hours. There's no way. <laughs> and uh, it was quite an exercise. It was kind of, a, kind of an emotional exercise, too. So uh, bear with me. Um, I, I had no idea... Although I can tend to be an emotional guy, but, uh, but I had no idea the process that I would go through when I was doing this. So bear with me. Um, before I start speaking, though, I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to lay this to the Lord. Father, help me to know what to pray. Lord, I pray that you would help me to share my heart and to share what you've done in my life and, Lord, in the lives of people around me. Um, Father, it's been an exciting journey, and I want to share this. Um, but Father, I want to I want to glorify you, and I don't want to put my life on the spotlight. It's you that I want to I want to shine. Thank you for this opportunity. Help me with my nerves, and I pray that you would put the words in my mouth to speak in Jesus' name. Amen. So first of all. I'm married. I just want to give you a little bit of a details. It's kind of like a resume at first. My wife is Jennifer. I have three kids, Chris and Dana and Bethany. You've, most of you have met them. Um, one of them is not here today. One's downstairs helping with Sunday school, and my youngest is here with my wife. They're 16, 14, and 12. My oldest goes to St. Falls District Collegiate in Smith Falls, and my two other children go to Calgary Christian Academy in Franktown. I'm an accountant. I work in Ottawa. I commute to Ottawa every day, and sometimes Lawrence Wood joins me on my long trek there and doesn't always follow me back, but he comes on his own way. Um, and my wife works for Big Brothers and Big Sisters of Lanark County in Smith Falls, and she's an administrative assistant there. So it gives you a little bit of information about just the facts and the details of who we are. Um, we attended a church in Smith Falls for many years. Both, uh, both Jen and I uh, grew up in uh, Smith Falls. My wife was born in Ottawa, but shortly after she was born, uh, she moved to the town of Smith Falls, and she grew up like I did in a small community, and uh, we ended up going to the same public school, the same high school, but we never met during those, that time. There was a four-year age gap between us, even though we were at the same place at the same time. We met afterwards, and, uh, and uh, the story goes from there. We got married, had kids, and so on. <laughs> it was much longer than that. But um, we, we both grew up going to church, and we went to different churches. And uh, after we got married, we decided we wanted to go to, uh, we wanted to stay in one spot. So we ended up going to a church called Calvary Bible Church. And we attended there for a number of years and were involved with the children's ministry. About 10 years ago, I was feeling the pull on my heart that, that we needed to make a change, we needed to move. And um, it took a little while to be obedient uh, to that call and uh, we stayed there for a number of years and then we decided that it was time for us to go but we didn't really know where we were going we to land um, we, we ended up uh, uh, visiting various different churches and then a good friend of mine Lawrence Wood who I would get together for lunch sometime t- 
told me about a church called Northgate, and he suggested that we come and visit. So that's how we ended up here. When we arrived, we um, it was kind of neat because uh, we knew a lot of people that were here already. We had had connections with people that we had met in the past. We're very good friends with Karen and Brian DeCock, who are actually here this morning, and uh, who have moved uh, to the city of Ottawa and are attending church there. Uh, but we also know other, knew other people like Mike and Don. Um, we knew Wayne and Judith Dow. Judith had been a, a mentor of Jen's uh, when she was before I'd met her. Uh, she'd went on a missions trip with with Jen to Puerto Rico, but uh, she'd also been like a mother figure to her spiritually. And then there was other people that we knew here as well. So it wasn't completely strange. We um, we were familiar with a lot of people, and but. Even though that was attractive, um, we were really searching for God to speak to our hearts. And uh, it wasn't long, we came here the first Sunday, and the message that Dan gave um, hit me right at the heart. And we kept coming, and God was speaking to us. And we ended up never leaving. We landed here, and this was the place that we were going to go. This was going to be our church family. So, from here I might do a little bit of reading. This is where I break the rules. It's very boring to watch somebody read, but I think I'm afraid that I might go off track if I don't. Um, My parents were by far the most influential people in my life. I heard somebody say a while ago to me that it takes a community, I think it was Randy actually that kind of threw this out there and says it takes a community to raise a child, and it's very true. Um, I can look back on my life and say that there were so many people that had an impact on me um, that uh, had an influence, um, not just my family, and I'll get into that, but there were, there were leaders every step of my life uh, that were there and Christian, Christian people that uh, opened their homes to me, who shared with me, uh, who were leaders to me. And uh, I really believe that you never know what impact you're going to have on somebody or what stage in their life that you're going to meet them at. You have, you have a part to play, and I do think that it, when somebody is following Christ or trying to follow Christ in their life, or if they've never met Christ, there's many seeds that are planted before somebody may ever make a, that decision to make Christ the center of their life. Just remember that. My parents were by far the most influential people in my life. Both became Christians in their 20s. I'm going back pretty far here. Neither grew up in a Christian home. My dad and his older brother were brought to a crusade in Smith Falls by their older sister. Now, I don't remember there ever being crusades, but way back, and then this is going back a long ways, they used to have crusades that would move around from town to town. And a police officer uh, uh, by the name of Kerr, his father of Enoch Kerr, um, had a part to play in my dad going to one of those crusades. And he ended up accepting Christ into his life. Man, I'm getting emotional. I'm not even getting the emotional part. <laughs> Um, my dad my dad ended up accepting Christ into his heart through an invitation uh, as a result of delivering a gospel message. His older brother did too, and both of those men never turned back on their decision. They made that decision, and their whole life they followed through with that. And that would impact the lives of our families, their children, and their grandchildren, and it still does. Um, this new commitment they both followed their entire lives and a decision that would and it would be a decision that was pivotal for their children and grandchildren. My mother grew up in a religious family that was very strict. Her parents lived exemplary lives, and even though they claimed to follow the Bible, they believed that they could please God by being good enough. Having a personal relationship with God and believing that Jesus died to pay for your sins, this was a that it was a free gift presented in the New Testament. Uh, This was a foreign concept to my mom and how she grew up. I don't remember my mother ever sharing a salvation moment, but I believe that her faith in Jesus Christ was a process that took time. My dad really led me to understand that God was, who God was, who Jesus was, and introduced the Bible to me. He was my spiritual father father, along with my biological father, I never remember not going to church. My parents attended an evangelical church in Smith Falls, and they believed that, believed that the Bible was the inspired word of God. I'm the, now, I'm the youngest of four kids, and I have to say that I have a beef with people who think that the youngest is spoiled. 
I don't think I was spoiled. I was just lucky. Um, they weren't. So anyway, I have two older brothers and an older sister who are 16, 14, and 11 years old. And I've been told many times in my life that I was an oops uh, by my siblings and people around me, jokingly. Uh, my parents also always told me that I was planned. They said that uh, I was intentional. I will never know the truth, probably, but, uh, but uh, I will go with that. Um, my, my brothers and my sister loved me very much, and they treated me, they were incredible siblings to me. Um, but they liked to tease me a lot. Um, my oldest brother moved away when I was only about five years old, and my sister married young, and she moved out of the house when I was seven. But I had one brother, Philip, who... Uh, he stayed a long time. But uh, it was good. He was a good influence on me. Um, I'll never forget doing things with him. He was a great older brother. He, uh, he would take me out to places. I mean, not too many kids my age had an older brother that had a driver's license and a car and a motorcycle. And uh, he would buy me things. He would buy me shirts. He would buy me all kinds of treats. And uh, he was really awesome. He was, he was a great brother. And uh, he was also the person that got me plugged into youth group. He was a youth leader. And, uh, and it, was, uh, it was kind of strange when he moved out because suddenly I was all alone. He got married when I was about 13, which was in my parents' eyes. They loved him being there, but I think they thought that was about time that he had, had finally moved on. And, uh, but I did miss him very much not being there, but his wife and him would uh, never stop the relationship. They would, uh, as a young person, they continually invited me to their home. I would be there on Sunday afternoons. You know, my, my parents were lovely people, but sometimes it was boring to be with them all the time. And uh, I had other friends, and I did other things, but it was nice to be there with them. I asked Jesus Christ to take charge of my life when I was a child. I'd heard the good news message in the Bible many times. My dad was very open about his faith, and he shared the need for Christ. I can remember one night, um, although I'll say this, um, for some reason, I don't know why, but I resisted. My dad would often ask me, you know, he, he was delicate, but he was, he was also very direct. He, he would uh, talk to me about, you know, have you asked Christ in your life? And um, have you made that decision? And I resisted doing it with him. And I'm not sure why, I can't remember, but I kind of think that I thought to myself, this is a decision I want to do on my own. And so I waited. I waited. I was only 11 years old. But, uh, but I, uh, I uh, made a decision. I can't remember the details other than I do remember getting up one night. And so I have a specific moment when I can remember asking Christ into my heart uh, and getting up in the middle of the night. And I couldn't sleep. And I thought, this is a decision I have to make. And I remember getting up to my window and asking Christ into my heart and Christ into my life and forgiving my sins. Now, I didn't... Didn't might kind of view. We all need our sins forgiven. You might think, well, eleven-year-old, what kind of major things have you done in your life? But that's not the point. The point is that we're all sinners, and we're born with sin, and we need Christ in our life. Um, my memories of my childhood and youth are actually quite amazing, fantastic. Um, I can remember my friends knowing that I was kind of the religious kid, and many times they and they would. I had my friends over, and they'd meet my dad, and they, it was quite obvious he was very... He, I mean, he wasn't uh, crazy, but he, he was quite open with his faith. He would... Uh, uh, we would have a meal, for example, and, and my dad was a meal, mealtime prayer evangelist. So uh, we, would, we would have friends over, and we would sit down to pray, and I got to know that this was coming. And so he would, he would say, Dear God, thank you for this food, but then he wouldn't stop. He would say, and dear God, thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to come into the world. And God, thank you that we can, uh, can uh, have salvation through him, that he died and then he rose again. And, and my friends, they got the whole salvation message. And they were captive audience. They could not go anywhere. They were, they, they were hearing the whole message. And, uh, and then my, my friends were like, wow, your dad's like really serious. And so... Um, and I got to the point where I was like a little embarrassed and I'd be afraid sometimes, which was not good. But, uh, and, and I knew what my dad's heart was at. He really cared about my friends and he cared about the people around us. Um, 
Yeah, so, uh, but my friends seem to have the impression that, that I lived in a very, very strict, ruled home. And uh, while I, I had a very, I was very conscious of, of the importance of not, you know, not lying, not stealing, not, you know, I, my, my parents lived, lived uh, the way they believed. Um, but things were pretty loose as far as the rules went. And I think maybe things changed from when my, my older siblings were in our home um, because they let me know that uh, I had it pretty good. I mean, I, I had a lot of freedom. And so as I got older and I had, uh, and once I got a bike, um, I was everywhere. Like the town, Smith, town of Smith Falls was my playground. Um, and I had friends that lived down the street and they liked to do crazy things. We didn't do anything destructive. We didn't do anything illegal. But we did do things that were maybe a little bit crazy. I can remember climb. I mean, kids do this, but I remember climbing up on the school gymnasium because we would we knew that balls would get up there, and uh, we knew if we got up there, nobody else would get up there, and anything that we found was ours. It was keep our keeps. So we would climb. There was a ledge in between where the gymnasium was and the school, and we would wedge our way up. And you could actually wedge your way up without a ladder and get up onto the roof. It was just two brick walls. And this one time I got about halfway up and I slid back and I was stuck. I couldn't get out. And, uh, and the only way I was going to get out is if one of my friends got up behind me and pushed me up. And they didn't want to do it. And so I was kind of like stuck there for a while until one of them finally had mercy on me and said, okay, well, I'm going to go up and help you. So they, they got up and pushed me up and I got down. There's lots of other stories like that. I've been locked in a cage in the CP rail yard um, and left there for hours before my friends came back. Um, one time there was a hydro line that was down at the CP rail yard. It couldn't have had power in it because I wouldn't be here today, but we, we swung on that. I can remember swinging in front of traffic on that and the police coming and telling us to go home. Um, and we swam in the rapids in downtown Smith Falls. Uh, we used to call it the toilet because it would swirl. And if you got the undertow just right, it would pull you down about 20, 30, 30 yards down the river. And nobody told us that you could drown. So... <laughs> But we did it, and I think, I don't know if this is boys or whether it's, uh, now looking back, I think uh, it seemed to make sense then, but now I know that that was really foolish. One in particular story that I, uh, I feel bad about is I was a little bit older, and we used to go to the, there's a school in Smith Falls called St. Francis de Salle School, and it's kind of a strange school because the schoolyard's all paved, and so when you go around the school, I mean, the kids, they have to play on pavement, but it's like a track that goes around the whole school. So my friends and I lived close to there. We would take our bikes and we would race around the school. And um, nobody told us that Saturday night was off limits because that's when they had mass at the church. So usually when we were there, there was no cars. But this particular Saturday, it was just full of cars. That didn't change what we did. So we kept racing around the school. And this one time as I was turning the corner... Um, I realized that there was a car coming, and it was coming right for me. So I had to, to pull my handlebars really quickly to, to change my steering. But because of the momentum I had, I, I flew right into the car. My, my bike flew right into the car, and I slid right down the whole side of the car. And uh, I stopped, and I looked at myself, and my hand was a bit scraped up, but I was okay. And the, the guy stopped, and he rolled down the window, and he said, Are you all right? And I said, yeah, I'm fine. I probably deserve to be given a good finger-wagging, but he didn't. He, once he knew I was okay, he drove off. And as he was driving off, I could see there was a big scratch and a dent all the way down from the front end to the rear of the car. I never saw that guy again, and I'm thankful that I never did. <laughs> but I probably deserved to, to be had talking to so the point of all that is that uh, um, my parents had rules, but I lived a pretty, pretty free, free life uh, when I was younger. Um, we never had any alcohol in our home. 
I only remember one time seeing my parents drinking anything with alcohol in it. And I don't know that this had as much to do with my parents' faith as it did with the chaos that alcoholism created in the lives of some of my father's older siblings who had married married alcoholics. And this is something that I witnessed myself. Perhaps it was a bit of both. Either way, its absence in our home was was not something that I ever really gave much thought to. Attending church was important. We faithfully attended church every Sunday, and while we were probably at, uh, we were there probably at times when it was a ritualistic exercise, our church was usually a, usually a fun place to be. There was a strong sense of community and family, and I had good friends there. And while there were times it was serious, we had a lot of people in our congregation that were always pulling crazy pranks and jokes. Um, Being a Christian, and this meant a lot to me. This may not be an attractive feature for many people, but for me it was freeing. Because to me, being a Christian didn't mean that I had to discard a part of me or park my personality at the door of the church. I didn't have to wear a serious face all the time. Being a Christian was fun, or it could be. We did a lot of things outside church services as a group, like meeting at houses, playing baseball games, going swimming. And we, we acted as a community. I was built up encouraged by a number of the adults and the older teens that went to our church. And I remember one, just to give you an idea, there was a senior, there were some jokes that would be played and people would do some crazy things. And there was one gentleman in my church, he was a little bit of a prankster, and he had lost his thumb in an accident sometime. I don't know what happened to it, but, but everybody that went there knew that he was missing his thumb. They usually didn't really notice it unless just happened to have his hand a certain way. And so there was a, a family that came and visited our church that was related to my brother, uh, my brother's wife. And they had a young lad, and he had been struggling with sucking his thumb. And so um, you, you can kind of see where this is going. The older gentleman, uh, the older gentleman, fine Christian man, but, you know, he just couldn't resist. He saw the young lad sucking his thumb, and he said, you know, I used to suck my thumb. <laughs> that young lad, I'll tell you, the mother, she was so mad at him. But he did start, stop sucking his thumb. Um, I got to get moving here. I had wonderful mentor, mentors in my life, in both my brothers. I was the closest to the younger of the two because he was just around all the time. And my oldest brother lived far away. He would take... Uh, I, I went into this... Um, uh, Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. I know some parents can claim this as a promise. Um, I know it can be discouraging when you raise a child and you see them not follow in, your, in the faith that you've given or presented to them. It's ultimately your child's choice. I don't see this as a promise as much as I see it as a principle. Um, I think that if we train up our children, I think they have, if we give them the, the basis of knowing who Christ is, that we give them the building blocks. But ultimately, they have to make the choice for themselves. My parents did that for me. They lived Christ in our home. But not only that, my dad was generous with our financial resources. And they opened up our home to people in need. <clears throat> my dad was sometimes a little too generous, and my mom sometimes would have to be the voice of reason and was definitely the financial manager in our home, which was interesting because my dad was a business teacher at school. But my mom definitely knew how to manage the finances. Uh, um, My dad was a spiritual leader. He had a private place in our home where he would retreat to, where he would pray. He was a voracious reader. I often saw him reading his Bible, but also studying many other other books, a lot of Christian books, but also non-Christian books as well. my dad was intentional, so it wasn't hidden. I saw him. I saw his faith in action. Uh, when I was young, about nine years old, my dad purchased notebooks and introduced me to the idea of keeping a journal. That idea, the idea was that I would read a part of a chapter in the Bible every night and write down my understanding of what I read. I still have those journals. Um, and it's interesting. We underestimate our children and think they don't understand Um, But I can tell you that uh, we need to give our kids, our young kids, an opportunity to actually, and to to lead them, because they understand more than we give credit for. Um, I'm going to race now. High school, 
I'm not going to go through my whole life. But uh, high school was a, an interesting time for me. Uh, when I first started, not many kids had... Um, I didn't really have any Christian friends. Now, I had a unique experience because I, my dad was a teacher at my high school. and Not many kids have an opportunity to see their dad at work. Um, I had him actually for the very first class and the very first... Um, my very first day of school, he was my typing teacher. Uh, not many people knew who he was, and they didn't connect me until later on in the year. Um, he didn't connect a lot with teachers, with the other teachers, um, probably because they didn't really have a lot in common. Um, but he did make a good friend, a gentleman by the name of Mr. Gill. Um, he, I think, uh, Mr. Gill had a hard time connecting. Uh, I don't know, but uh, he was... Uh, Indian and he was a Sikh and in a predominantly white school I think probably it was a challenge for him to to connect with people and my dad reached out to him and I can remember my dad walking home uh, from school every day well not every day but a lot of days and my dad would share his faith with him I remember him coming over to our house occasionally and uh, talking about talking about uh, my dad's faith um, I know Mr. Gill did not um, except what my dad had to talk about or what to share. But they had a good, lasting friendship. And uh, I can remember my dad even bringing him to church, and, uh, and, uh, which was quite amazing because uh, I don't think that he really, really wanted anything to do um, with that, but he definitely respected my father. And, uh, and I will say, too, that when my dad did pass away, um, that Mr. Gale was one of the first people that I called to inform him that my dad had died. Um, I, I bemoaned the fact that I didn't have any Christian friends. And uh, you can see a theme here that my dad, as I look back, my dad had a big impact on me. And uh, I, I uh, struggled with the fact that I didn't have any good Christian friends. And, you know, I, I told my dad that, uh, you know, it's really, really hard. And so he just told me, well, why don't you pray that God gives you some Christian friends? And... And I thought, well, that's pretty simplistic. Um, I just didn't, I didn't buy it that I just pray and that God would give me some Christian friends. So I was obedient. I went ahead and I, I did it. And uh, two months later, two of my friends became Christians. Not through anything that I did. Uh, I actually was quite convinced that I would, and, and I don't know why I didn't have the faith to believe that, but I just didn't think it's not going to happen. I just can't see any of my friends taking interest in 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 my faith. And two guys uh, through uh, ministry at the Pentecostal Church in Smith Falls and basketball, um, they ended up uh, meeting a son of the pastor. I don't even know the whole story really, but they, they ended up accepting Christ in their heart. They're still good friends of mine today. Actually, uh, one of them was in my wedding. Um, so high school actually went very well for me. I didn't have the... I. I had good friends. Things went pretty good. I can't say that my high school days were traumatic or I had any bad experiences. I, I, was, pretty, I was pretty clean in how I, uh, how I lived my life, but I guess I was uh, considered a little bit like a religious kid. I didn't go around telling everybody my faith, but I did share it with my close friends. Some of them didn't really have an interest, but they respected me for who I was. Um, when, I, when I graduated... Um, I, I did well in school, and the counselors encouraged me that, that I should really go to university. And, uh, and I had plans on... Uh, I, I wavered back and forth, but I ended up deciding that I wanted to go to business school. And so I applied, and I was accepted at Carleton University. Carleton University was a whole different world. Um, I was used to having friends around me, and I was used to being surrounded by community. And suddenly I was very much alone. And uh, I was overwhelmed. I had a lot of schoolwork. And uh, it was, I was a, used to be a big fish in a small pond, and now I was a small fish in a big pond. Um, the, the students that, I was, uh, that were in my program, I was usually, well, no, I wouldn't say the top of my class, but I did very well in high school. I, I had good marks. And suddenly I was in the middle of the class. And uh, so I was, I was really struggling. Um, I got connected with a group called Campus Crusade 
Power to Change as a Christian ministry, and it was a, a real lifesaver for that first year. Um, I was in, plugged into a Bible study, and I got to know a lot of guys, but just because of the nature of our, our schedules, uh, quite often it was very hard to connect other than at that planned time. By my second year, my workload doubled, and uh, I, I went back to uh, Campus Crusade, and they wanted me to be involved. And the time commitment that they were talking about completely discouraged me, and then I completely unplugged. Um, I, I thought there's no way that I can put the time that 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 they're thinking of into this, and so and I was very, at that point, my God was starting to become my school, and I focused entirely on my schoolwork. I I, I worked. Um, studying, doing assignments. I would come home, work on the weekend, go back, do school, work all week, go back. And then that became my life. And it became a very lonely, lonely kind of uh, existence. It was, uh, uh, it took a lot of discipline. But then uh, something, uh, a twist would come in my life. Christian couple who had taken me under their wing um, with good intentions uh, introduced me to... uh, uh, a woman uh, that had gone through bad relationships and she'd gone through one bad relationship and then had gone through another bad relationship and I think they thought probably with good intentions that I was a nice guy and it would be nice to for this for this person to to meet me and uh, to meet like a nice guy but what I don't think they understood is that I was also a very lonely guy and uh, what was not intended to be I don't think uh, a relationship ended up becoming one. And I started seeing this woman. We were dating, and then it became serious. And uh, and then, because I was just not connected to God at that point, then it became a relationship that that became uh, physical. And uh, it was, most people don't know that, that this happened, transpired in my life, uh, except my wife. And, uh, and so I went through one and a half years, two and a half years of an on-and-off relationship, in a relationship where this this girlfriend that I was really starting to fall for, that I had fallen for, was breaking off with me and going back with this ex-boyfriend and then coming back to me. And, uh, and it was painful. And the, the irony is that in my attempt to um, do well in school, I made school my God, and in my attempt to fill my loneliness in my own way, um, I'd taken God out of the equation and I'd put... I put my wisdom first. I was actually more lonely than I ever was before. And my school suffered. And my, my marks were not doing, I wasn't doing well. Time came for me to graduate, and I finally said, this is enough. I've had enough of this. And it wasn't, I felt that I'd really, I really let this, and she was not a mean person. She was a nice person, but, but, there was just, um, when I say that, there was just different priorities, different values. And I had compromised. I felt that I'd compromised my witness to this family. I'd compromised in front of friends. I'd compromised in front of a lot of people. And, my, and, uh, and I felt bad. But I realized that God still loved me. Just that um, I had, I really feel I had the devil pointing at me and saying, I've got you, you know. You've screwed up. You've messed up. You're not, for, you're not forgivable. And you know, there's no such thing as an unforgivable sin. So anyway, um, I can't say that I came... I, I, I said that was enough and I stopped that, but I can't say that I, I really... You know, I, I came to God and started, you know, putting God first in my life. Um, I graduated from university. I did okay. But I needed to do great to get into an accounting firm. I applied to many accounting firms, and it was during the time of the recession in the 1990s, so that just compounded things. I mean, even the people that I knew that had good marks were not able to get into an accounting firm, and so I wasn't even getting an interview with anybody. I had, I had worked at, uh, I still had my job at the grocery store. I was working part-time. I worked through university. And... Um, after a year of throwing out resumes and even ask, and offering to work for free for some places, um, I got very, very discouraged. Um, on top of that, my dad became very ill. He developed heart disease. 
and uh, it didn't look good. They had him on a waiting list for bypass surgery. And of course, a waiting list, when somebody is on that close to having a massive heart attack, is scary. Um, and then, again, I was still lonely. Um, hadn't, other than that, I, honestly, my heart's desire, and I, and I young people, I, I get this, I, I wanted a girlfriend. I wanted somebody to, I was lonely. And uh, even though I had family and, and uh, they cared for me. Uh, so anyhow, I, had, I went to an interview in Ottawa this one night and uh, didn't go well. And I went to Harvey's and I, was, I finished my meal and I got my parking lot in the parking lot. I was sitting there, I just poured my heart out. I poured my heart out to God. I said, you know, I know other people have bigger problems than me, but, but uh, you know, I'm just, what's going on? Like, I, I'm not mad at you, but, you know, this is not how it was supposed to go. This was not how, this is not the plan. And so I gave the desires of my heart to Jesus, and I said, I'm going to make you first again. Psalm 37, 23, 24 says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his ways. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him in his hand. It gets better. <laughs> so, I'm emotional, man. I, I, I cry. My, my kids and my family laugh at me. They cry. I mean, this is, this is serious stuff, but... I cried at Upside, uh, Inside Out, and uh, other movies. So, I mean, but uh, anyway, God had good plans for me. I'm not saying that thing, things got better right away, but over, over the course of the year that followed, I would meet and begin dating the woman that would become my wife, Jen McDonald, a wonderful woman, a godly, godly woman, and uh, I can say I've never in all the time that I have known my wife, I've never, ever felt like I didn't trust her. Um, uh, she has been a rock, and uh, she was definitely uh, ordained by God, um, and I'm glad he brought her to me. Um, he blessed me with, with her. Um, in that year, my dad would have a heart attack before he ever had surgery. And that would turn into a blessing, ironically, because what it did is it pushed him from the end of the line to the front of the line. And they would do bypass surgery on him. He was blocked throughout, had quadruple bypass. And, uh, and I remember the surgeon saying that, that uh, he was lucky um, that he, he was moved up. And he also said, and I knew it wasn't luck. I mean, God has a fun, I mean, God knows all things. We don't know it. We don't know what the, God's plans are, but he sees everything. We don't see it. God took my dad, and I remember the surgeon telling us that, uh, you know, most people live five years after the surgery, so if your dad is fortunate, he will have five years. Fifteen years later, he was still going. Um, I would also... End up getting a job. It wasn't uh, probably the job that I would have uh, uh, thought I would get, but I ended up getting a job in an accounting uh, uh, accounting group in a small or a large manufacturing company in Brockville. And then over many years, my uh, God has led my path—a strange, weird path that I would have never figured for myself. And now I work for the federal government. Don't no jokes about the federal government, okay? But I work for the federal government. I work in a in a budget on a budget team, and uh, it's pretty neat stuff. I get to see things that I would have never dreamed that I'd get to see and work on stuff I never would have anticipated that I'd work on. Um, I would, with regards to my parents, I'm gonna I'm gonna run out of, I'm running out of time here. I'm not even sure how much time I'm supposed to have, but. I, uh, with my parents, I don't want to give the impression that everything was always rosy. My parents were godly parents, but uh, it would be wrong to give you the, the sense that everything was happy and 
And that's not, that's not how relationships are. I mean, Jan and I are not perfect. We have troubles. We have difficulties. I can remember growing up, and as much, my, my, I talked a lot, about my, a lot about my mom, but my mom was a loving parent. And she, was a, she rescued a lot of people in her family. I can remember having people in our home that were in trouble. And she would step up to the plate and bring them to our home, and they would stay with us. But I can remember uh, lots of different days when there was yelling. I can remember some arguments that got heated. I can remember some slam doors. I remember my dad when he had shingles, and he, had, he was in a lot of pain, and he was a bear. And I, I know he was not feeling well, but he was a bear to live with. And uh, things are not perfect. And my dad had funny ideas, too. Some things that I, I thought, well, that's just weird. But, uh, but my dad was a godly man, and my mom was a godly mom. Um, the last, I'm going to say that the last 20 years, um, like I said, they're not perfect, but I would have to say the last 20 years that God has given me with my wife and my three kids have been the best 20 years of my life, and that's saying a lot because I had a great childhood. I had difficulties too. That said... Um, God would throw a challenge at me. I knew my dad would not live forever. But uh, it was strange. Uh, don't know what, what God's plans are, but I will say the last seven years have been a challenge. Um, in March of 2011, uh, I got a phone call from my older brother saying that my dad had had a stroke, a massive stroke. And so we went to the hospital. And it was... It was just catastrophic, really. He survived, but uh, he, he was blind. He couldn't speak. He was paralyzed on one side. He couldn't swallow. And it, we weren't even sure that he even understood us or if he, he knew we were there. And so we went through three weeks of, well, the first couple of days were, were very difficult because we, uh, we didn't know what to do. And thankfully, we had a, a Christian nurse, uh, an experienced nurse, uh, that we knew, who shared with us, and gave us advice, and and told us what the reality was. We were so thankful that she was honest. And uh, so the next three weeks, we just spent as much time as we could with my dad. And as fate would have it, and I don't think it's really fate. I think God perhaps did it for me. The day that my dad died, um, the morning that he passed away. Um, we thought that he still had some time, and so I headed into the hospital, and as I arrived, the nurses met me, and they said, your dad has is, just passed. And so I felt bad. There's nobody else there, none of my family, and I walked into the, the hospital room. And the nurses kind of scattered out, and they wanted to give me some privacy with them. And as I sat there with my dad, and it's funny because my dad has prepared me for this day with his faith, I knew that he knew where he was going. But as I sat there and I looked at my dad, his lifeless body there, I realized he's not here. This is just a body. We have a hope in Christ. When you accept Christ and make him the center of your life, death does not end with the grave. This is, this is a shell. However, the story doesn't end there. The doctors approached us during that, those three weeks and they informed us, your mom is showing some strange signs. There's something up with her. And we didn't pick up on it, but she was actually showing signs of dementia. And so my dad had been covering for her. And now that he was gone, we were starting to see some of the things that were happening. And over the course, the course of that next few months and the next few years, it would become painfully obvious and very scary the situation that we situations that we were experiencing with my mom as her memory was starting to get shorter and shorter and shorter and as she was starting to do things like leaving the stove on in her house and and taking the car for a drive and not knowing where she was and not taking her medication properly and we i won't get into all the decisions that we had to make but it created it it put our family four Christian kids into a situation that we were at we weren't in agreement with what to do. My my Christian family was being thrown into battle over my mom. 
It's been a long course. I'm not saying it's easy. I do think that God has a plan for us, and I know I don't know why bad things happen, for sure, but I know God's in control of it. My dad, or my mom right now, we've, we've watched her, and I have to say that dementia is a, is a nasty disease. It's, we've watched my mom go from losing her memory to losing her ability to walk to losing her ability to speak, not knowing who we are, and not even being sure that she can see us sometimes. And uh, it's been a tough, tough, tough road. I believe, and I'll share this with you, um, James 1.2.4 says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come into your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. This is a hard thing to swallow. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. God uses trials to make us stronger, more able to endure, better able to do the tasks he places before us. Trials make us better able to cope. They cause us to have compassion and empathy for others. It helps us understand the pain that they're going through, and it teaches patience. We also have a better understanding of, of uh, an eternal perspective, too. See, when my mom, my mom and my dad understood where they were going, and we can look at life. I, I had somebody approach me and say, and, and I wasn't, actually, I wasn't going to share this, but I think I will. Someone approached me recently, and, and they saw the, they had seen the devastation that my mom went through. And uh, they threw this out to me. wasn't a Christian person, but they knew my mom. They knew that they had seen her her whole life. And they said to me, you know, how can a loving God let something like this happen to a woman like this? And I didn't have, I didn't answer right away. I I was kind of like thrown off guard by the question. And uh, I knew it was an attack. I knew it was an attack on my faith and my parent, my mom's faith. And as I, I went home, I realized that, you know, um, there's, there's more to, to this life than just this life. I sat down and God threw, I wrote down as I was thinking of this question, because bad things happen to us. I mean, we see things happen and we don't know why, we don't have an answer for it. Like, why does, if a God loves us, why does God allow these things to happen? And the questions came to my mind. This is not from the Bible, that, but this is, these are the questions that I wrote down. This, is, this isn't all of them. But how is it that we're ready to blame God for the trials that come upon us in our lives? But at the same time, we're not willing to give him credit for the very lives that he has given us in the first place. How is it that we blame God for allowing us to experience death, but aren't willing to acknowledge that this same God has prepared an eternal place for us to spend with him. I don't know. I don't, I don't want to blame or, I mean, God, when I look at the scriptures and I see what the Bible says, I don't see that it guarantees, it doesn't promise us that this life in these bodies will be fair now. But at some point it will be. There will be a time um, that when we will, we will come to meet God face to face and he will make it right and how we perceive fairness may not be how God perceives I, I don't believe that we, we would take a look at our lives and say well there's, it's about being good or being bad but in the Bible it talks, tells us that for all of sin to come short of the glory of God there's none righteous no not one and but God has sent his son to pay for for our sins so that we can all come to know him. I don't and that we could all spend eternity with him. So I don't have all the answers. One thing that I would like to share with you and uh, that's really there's more that I could share about my testimony. But but God has been faithful to me and I think that God prepared me in early in my life for the the difficulties that that we have come across later in our lives. Trials trials will come our way, um, but we need to lean on him and depend on him.
Um, I think um, I also wanted to take a few minutes to share about this church and where it's going. I do think that we are a light in this church to our community. And I think that if we want to be a light to our community, the way we're going to do that is by reaching out to people first where their needs are at. I think the expectation that people are going to come in here and that they're, I mean, that can happen. I mean, people will meet people here and maybe they'll they'll make connect and make a relationship. But I do think with somebody and maybe they will come to know Christ and that does happen. But I think first we need to reach out where people have needs. There are a lot of people that are hurting around us. Um, People that are um, that are shut in. You know, they're in. I see that in nursing home. I see lots of elderly people who. I don't know whether they have people visiting visiting them, and and that's just one example. My wife works for Big Brothers, and and um, they have a shortage of people that would be able to come and meet these young kids that that uh, come from broken families. So there's no shortage of finding people with needs. I think that as a church, um, um, this is not about building numbers and getting packing these chairs. This is about changing our community. And that's really all I wanted to say. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for this church. And I don't know whether I... Uh, Father, I don't know whether um, what everything that I spoke was, was what you wanted me to say. But God, if, any, if nothing else, um, I pray that, that if people would walk away from here, that they would walk away knowing that, that uh, we know or we, we can know that you are here in the midst of our troubles in our difficulties, and you give us good times. And, uh, Lord, that all blessings come from you. I praise your name, and I thank you for this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.